Folks, if your knowledge of desk, high Ds, I's, S's, and C's, the perfectionists, the Attila, the Huns, the marketers, the team players, if that has helped you become more effective at work, you'll want to seriously consider coming to our Effective Communications Conference. We set the basics of DISC in an hour or so, and then we spend the rest of the day teaching you how finally to communicate effectively, which is to pay attention to what your listener does and communicate in a way that makes sense to them. At the end of the day, you'll be able to read someone in a conversation, determine their major DISC tendency, and then based on that, make some changes in how you deliver to improve the chances that you get harmony and congruence and collaboration and not drama, conflict, and tension. Come see us. Welcome to Career Tools. Our guidance on negotiation, chapter three, staying tough on your issues. Here we go. Wendy, I think there are a lot of people who fear negotiations. We've started giving some guidance. It's a big enough topic. We've got to spread it out over time. So we've said before we want to build relationships, and now you're going to say we're going to be tough. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) Yeah, but we're going to be tough about one thing, and we're still going to be nice to people. We're going to keep the relationship, and we're going to be soft on the people, which we'll talk about next time. But we're just going to – the things you want to be tough on are the issues, not the people. All right. So what's our outline? So hold the line on the issues that matter. Why does the issue matter? Understand why the issue matters first. Find common ground to resolve it and stay calm and clear. Yeah, I can see where staying calm and clear. If you lose that one, you're going to lose the relationship. That's not good. Okay, the first thing you said was hold the line on issues that matter. Um, To me, the interesting part of that is deciding what matters. And I think the vast majority of people make a huge mistake in negotiating by acting as if everything matters because everything is potentially negotiable and I don't want to give up on anything because I may want to use that later and so therefore everything's important and they don't understand that by definition you never get everything you want. I hope I didn't just give away everything, but to me, I've always felt like there were a couple of things that really mattered to me and everything else I couldn't care less about. And I didn't realize that that wasn't normal and I just got lucky in that sense, and that made me at least tolerable as a negotiator. Yeah. Every time you ask for something, whether it's a small negotiation or a big one, there's always things that you really need and things that are okay. So it's kind of like the the classic project management triangle that says you can have it cheap and fast but low quality, and then it goes around the rest of the triangle. Yeah. When you're negotiating, you have to know which combination of points that is important to you or the most important to you so that you could give on quality or you can give on price or whatever so that you get what you need. Yeah. Now, we're going to want to hold the line on those things that are most important. And we're doing this because it ought to be obvious what's important, but it may not be. And if it isn't, we're going to choose. And then by definition, to some degree, those things that aren't super important We're telling ourselves, basically, we can give these things away or be more flexible with with these things. And so what that means is for those things that we deem not important or not as important, we're willing to give ground on those things. Yeah. What do we tell somebody who says, well, what if I give ground on the unimportant things uh, in order to foster a sense of openness? And then my negotiating partner says, yeah, I'm pretty hardline on those. And then 
he then says, and I'm super hard line on these. So you've made a bunch of concessions. And then the other person goes, now we get to the important stuff. And by the way, generally, we start with the easier stuff at the beginning. But we've gotten to the important stuff. And now either he feels emboldened because he won a lot, or he feels like you're soft, or he simply says, these things are the most important. I'm less flexible here. And you feel like you've done an ethical thing by trying to reach an agreement. And yet now it feels like you're being taken advantage of. What do you do? Okay. I've got a bunch of different answers. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, that is the question in so many people's minds. When I've taught negotiation, that's the question. And so therefore people, it ends up being the prisoner's dilemma where people say, well, I can't afford to give here because then they'll think I'm weak and they'll take from me over there. And folks, the answer for that, in case you're wondering, it's not the purpose of today's guidance, but the answer of that is if you give up some stuff as a way of showing goodwill, recognizing that you're probably not going to get everything, the other person takes from you. And then in addition, tries to take on the major points, you simply back out of the deal. You simply say, okay, look, I've been trying to make this work. You've been happy to take advantage. And now you're saying you're going to take advantage on here as well. This is no longer a good deal for me. And we reach something in in the negotiating world called a BATNA, which is you have to understand what is your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So folks, stop worrying that you're going to give some stuff away and that may be bad because later in the negotiations they're going to take more from you on the big stuff you can always back out and there's nothing wrong with going to your boss and saying look there are seven things you and i both know there are two that are really important one of those things is important to them we assumed we'd talk about that last there were some other stuff that it was pretty obvious to us wasn't as important to them they were hardline on everything. They wouldn't budge. They wouldn't budge. I gave, I gave, I gave. We came to the big thing. And then they said, look, we've established a pattern here where you're clearly comfortable giving. So we want the last little bit. And I said, unfortunately, I'm not, not flexible. And they said, well, look, we're so close. You should just agree to our terms. And I finally said, enough's enough. There's only one thing worse than a deal that benefits you and, and not me. And that's a deal that doesn't benefit either one of us. And I'm not, I'm not going to do this deal. I'm not going to agree to give away things because basically what you're saying to me is you don't respect us as partners. Or maybe there was never a deal to be had. If in fact, none of these things are flexible, why do we ever have a discussion? So you can go to your boss and say, look, yeah, I gave and gave and gave. And there was an assumption there and the assumption didn't prove true. And those things are now off the table. And I essentially took those early wins for them off the table and said, sorry, the things that I agreed to give up aren't valid because there's no deal in place to fix the arrangement between you and I. And too many people don't understand that you can back out. And because you can back out, because of the best alternative, the best al- alternative to a negotiated agreement, if you know what that is in advance, because you can back out, then you can give in the beginning. And of course, you hope you have a negotiating partner who, who will agree with that as well. But you don't know them perhaps well enough to know whether or not they will. It's a bit like hiring in that it's better to have an empty space than have oh, hired a bad employee. Exactly. And, and until you've done it, you don't understand how bad it is. Yeah. Put differently, there's one thing worse than no agreement, and that's an agreement where I lose. Yeah. Um, and I lose completely as opposed to both of us compromising. And if you think compromising is a form of losing, then you ought not to be in negotiating. 
You ought not to be negotiating things because you can't negotiate without giving some stuff up. You're not going to be the one clever person who figures it all out and figures out how to get everything on every, uh, on every single topic. It doesn't work that way. Okay, we've already told them before, you got to figure out what's important, right? Yeah. And so on those things, it's, uh, those things if, you, if you say, okay, I'm in a superstore and I need trucks of, from my producers, pr- from my suppliers to arrive in a 15-minute window that I've got scheduled for them, that's the important bit, that they arrive in that 15-minute window. And you have to understand that how that happens is actually irrelevant to you. They can come in a small van. They could come in a big truck. Well, but what about the guy who says, well, that's true. They could come in a small van. And if I were thinking creatively and holistically, I would say they're actually more flexible with the smaller vans rather than the bigger trucks because the vans burn less gas or easier to send out with smaller uh, size packages or smaller deliveries, total delivery size. But you say to yourself, but I have a loading dock. And that van doesn't work in the loading dock. So it's got to be this, and it's got to be this, and it's got to be this. What you're saying is maybe you ought to rethink some of that, know well enough to know that if they make it within the 15 minutes, even if the truck is not exactly right for the loading van, loading dock, you'll probably be okay if, in fact, you've done your analysis well and that 15-minute window is being met. That's right. As long as they get it onto the loading dock at the same speed as the lorries would or or within the however long you've given them to drop it off, yeah. it doesn't matter what they come in. For the record, Americans, lorries are trucks. Oh, did I just say that? Yeah, that's quite, it's quite normal. Part of the charm. Oh, good. <laughs> charm. Yeah, the whole point of negotiation is that it's not a dictation. Like a dictation is you tell them how to do it. You tell them when to do it. You tell them where to do it. And you tell them the price and that's it. You know, like when we buy something that's, you know, a low cost good, like um, we go into Target and buy a handbag. Not everybody's going to do that, but I would. Um, Target suggests a price and I decide whether or not I take it. There's no negotiation. They've right. dictated the price and I decide whether or not I'm willing to take that deal. But the more complex the deal, the more places where you can give, and that's negotiation. It's yeah. it's not it, the whole point is you can't hold on to everything and just dictate terms. Well, what's what's funny about this is the the very idea of negotiation is why I'm pretty sure we're the only people in the world saying it, but it nevertheless is still true that it's why it's so ludicrous when people say I want to negotiate my starting salary. No, you don't. You don't want to negotiate your starting salary. You want more. You want to dictate a different starting salary. Negotiation would imply that you and the company would sit down, forget about whether customer, supplier, any of that sort of stuff for a minute. There is a disagreement in some portion of the potential commerce you're going to do, and you sit down at the table with an agreement about things you're willing to give up and things they're willing to give up. Since you're interviewing, and even if you do have the job, the assumption is you're going to be working hard, you're going to be giving your best effort. You didn't go into the interview and say, I'm only going to be giving you 80%. You, therefore, have nothing to offer in a negotiation about your starting salary. You won't be offering anything. You're like the person who's impossible to negotiate with because they just dictate terms and say, I I want more. That's not a negotiation. It's a demand. Unless somebody can describe it in a creative way, I don't understand how you can negotiate with a company for salary. You can ask for more, 
But the idea that you're negotiating, that you can somehow legitimize what you're asking for is ludicrous. You can certainly demand and you can be told no. And there are people who will have a demand denied and say, no, that's okay, I'm still going to take it. And then the other people who, when the demand, when the bluff gets called or when, when it's not a bluff, they say, well, I'm not going to go to work there. And then you, you do, in fact, have your best alternative, which is, I won't go to work for you for that price. And in hindsight, of course, the company would say, we don't want you to come to work here if you don't agree on the price. And we didn't think you were going to offer us anything more anyway, which is why it's not a negotiation. Exactly. Yeah. And I assume the point we're going to make here is the more complex things are, you don't have to see it just as a negative of, oh my gosh, there's a lot of complexity. There's also the benefit of there are a lot of things in play. And if you think about each one of the items, and of course, on a secondary level, their relationship to one another, you can think about what am I willing to tolerate here? Um, in some cases, price may not be that important. I've told people before, I don't care how much of a discount you can give me. I, this just happened recently at the Apple store. They said, are you in our business program? I said, yes. Oh, well, let me lick you up. I said, please don't. So why not? And they said, you know, there's, there's a discount. I think it's 1% or something. We do quite a bit of business with Apple. And uh, I said, there is no amount of discount on this $100 or $200 worth of equipment or stuff that I'm buying that is worth the amount of time I know it will take you to find us in your system. And the person waves me off and waves me off. And now they're dictating. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You will take this discount or else. Yeah. And actually, I told them, I said, well, then I don't want it. And they, they looked at me crazy. I said, price is not an issue for me. I don't care. Now, if that had been a negotiation, right, and price was an issue for them, giving up on price, if you're dealing with somebody who's ethical, and there are times when you're not, that actually makes the deal easier. Nope, not oh, going to worry about price. Not going to worry about price. And everybody seems like it worries about, worries about price. And price is only one of many factors. But the more complex you are, the easier it is to have more things that allow you to reach a deal. Yes, it'll be more work, but it may actually be easier to reach a deal. Being around you, I've got much more flexible about the idea of price and time for time is money. Oh, and, you yes. know, I quite often say, I don't care I'm going to pay someone to do that because yep. I haven't got time. And when you take price off the table it completely disarms people it's like they don't know what to do with it like i don't know how care how much it costs i just want you to do it yeah and at the same time i say you know i'm not sensitive on price and they say fine and then they want two or three other things i say okay wait a minute time out we both agree we're in some sort of negotiation i've given you something on price which is not important to me that's a huge signaling effect to you that i want this deal done and then you're gonna come back and say well these four other things are important to you and uh, important to me as well things that i would consider a lot less important in other negotiations i've had similarly with a contractor for repairs on a house or whatever or someone doing some work for me and, and uh they said well this and this and this is also really important to me i said well it sounds to me like then we weren't negotiating you were just going to demand these things and i'm not comfortable with that yeah and i actually had that conversation about six months ago and somebody said well can we do something on price and i said no it's not important to me. I don't want to win on the unimportant things and then lose on something that perhaps is more important. Okay, anyway, um, the second thing you said was we want to remember why the issue matters. Yeah. So it kind of it's kind of follows on from the whole trucks at the superstore. But 
a lot of the examples we've given, we've talked about different ways that the same objective can can be achieved. And so it's not only important to know which issues matter to you, but what you're actually trying to achieve. So for example, if you outsource your IT development and you want to include something that says they're only allowed two rounds of QA, well, you could want that for multiple reasons, but one of the ones is you want it because you don't want them to keep going through QA and you have to pay for those hours, right? It's, right. Not, it's not actually the QA that matters to you. It's the number of hours used. And so you can change it. You could say, okay, you can do as much QA as you like, but I'm only paying you this amount. It's a fixed amount. Or you could say it's a fixed amount based on a certain date. So you have to deliver it on the 1st of September. If you deliver it early, I'll give you money. If you deliver it late, you have to give me money, which is the way lots of contracts for um, infrastructure like roads and stuff are done now. You can pay in stages and like only let it go ahead when you're sure that they have a reasonable plan and that therefore QA won't take as long. Once you come down to not the result of what you're right. trying to achieve, but the actual object that you're trying to achieve, then there's a multitude of solutions to that. So unless you know why it matters to you, you can't get that flexibility and creativity on how to choose things. Yeah. And this goes back to preparation. You have to you have to know the person, you have to know your issues, and it takes time in advance. Negotiation is not just what they show you in the movie. Negotiation is knowing what's important to you, knowing the costs and the benefits associated to each one. Somebody who prepares well and builds relationships in advance is going to do much better than someone who's creative and clever and thinks it's all about the issues. Plus, in the modern world, if you're negotiating with someone, the chances are high that you're going to end up negotiating with them again. And as we've said many, many, many times, if you ever have a chance to work something out and you get a chance to leave some goodwill on the table, even though it costs you time or money in the short term, we encourage you to do it. Don't always take everything you can take if, in fact, you believe there will be goodwill lost in the process. And if you feel that the other person a la my example of someone who's inflexible and everything, does not believe in goodwill, it's only about the issues, you probably can't go into a negotiation with them and come out feeling good about it. And then the question becomes, should you go at all? And again, best alternative. Yeah. Okay, third point, find common ground. Yeah, so I think we've probably hinted at this, but just to make it really clear, that it's better to be collaborative when you're negotiation, negotiating negotiating i said it so many times my tongue won't work than being <laughs> confrontational if you go into a room knowing that you're going to have a fight the result is going to be le less good for either of you it's a bit like people often when they're getting divorced now they don't have the lawyers meet initially they have a mediation session which is essentially a negotiation right as an example, if a certain product is delivered and it's broken when it when it arrives, every time people keep complaining, I've ordered this thing from you and it's broken. But you don't know whether that's a problem with manufacturing and they're creating a product that's easily broken, or is it the people that are packaging it? Are they not packaging it right? And they could both go into a room and keep blaming each other and become more and more entrenched and get nowhere. 
Whereas if you can agree that the problem is that customers get broken things and it's the customer's experience that's important, that stops you blaming people and it helps you kind of bring down the heat in the argument and then you can start problem solving. Anybody who's seeing red mist can't negotiate. That's funny. I've heard you use that phrase before, red mist. It always worries me, particularly in the workplace. To me, the way to find common ground is to offer things immediately or very quickly. For instance, I could be flexible here. I don't know if that helps you. In other words, I'm trying to help them by being flexible. And generally speaking, even if you're dealing with somebody who doesn't want, believe in goodwill or long-term relationships, they're probably going to agree on you being flexible, you being open to discussions about a particular point. So when we ask, you know, let's find something to agree on. One way to do that is, would it help you if I were a little bit flexible here? Okay. Would it help you if, if we had some flexibility there? They'd probably say yes. Now, yes, there are people. I'll make the point again. There are people who you'll negotiate with who will see that as weakness. But folks, if other people perceive you as weak and you know that you are prepared and strong and clear about your values and goals, you're not weak. They're just dumb. So if they see it as weakness, you ultimately can always step away from the table and say, you know, I've offered four times. And you've gladly taken and you've not offered in return. And when the person says, yeah, I'm a great negotiator because of it, say, you know what? I don't want a relationship with a great negotiator. I want, I want to work with somebody I can trust. And if our relationship is only going to boil down to meetings like this, then that's not a way to do business. And by the way, when you read in papers about companies getting together and so on, yes, of course, there are lawyers involved and everything else. What they don't say is the people at the table do this at a very high level. They work on goodwill. They don't just sit across from one another and do the things that movies show, which are confrontational and clever and so on. In fact, some of the, the mergers and acquisitions take years to get through. And if you're going to, every single time you go to a meeting with company X, you're going to be in misery. Pretty soon, some senior person is going to say, if you're a junior person, they're going to say, well, let's just not do this. This is just not good. And somebody will finally go to the CEO or somebody senior and say, I got to tell you, we've been with these guys for a while and we don't like them. They're hard to work with. All of us dread it. And maybe it'll take a little bit of, of doing, but there's so much not reported about these kind of small interpersonal things, these kinds of bridge building efforts where you try to find something you can agree, agree upon, ask yourself what's less important and where you could be flexible. And it may very well be if there are seven things to negotiate and one is going to be important to both of you and you agree it's the most important. Maybe you, you give up on four and maybe he feels like he won because he only gave up on two. But when you come to that last one, you have to assess based on what you've done and what the costs are and so on, whether or not you want to make the agreement. If they're not going to be flexible and you can't reach an agreement, the fact that you gave up, that you tried to find agreement on four, just means that you're a good partner and you're looking to the big picture. And the fact that you come to an agreement is much more about the other partners not willing to do what he or she ought to be doing, which is to say finding common ground. And if you reach a point where you can't reach common ground, you simply walk away. And yeah, you don't get a deal, but you could say, look, we gave here, 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 and here. And they kept saying, no, 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 we have to have this and this and this and this. And at some point, it's a bad deal. Yeah. If you've done your homework and you know what that line is between a good deal and a bad deal. 
It's a bit like marriage, right? The marriage isn't the wedding day. And working together after the after the negotiation, the, the negotiation is is one thing, but you've got to work together for the next three years, five years, however long. And, and that's a consideration in whether or not you take a deal. You can't get everything you want. It's very akin to the great sayings that heaven knows how to put a price on its goods. Everybody wants to get to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Of course you want total joy and perfect happiness for all eternity. But in order to have that, the ultimate reward, you have to pay the ultimate price. If it were nickel to get in, then it wouldn't be that big a deal, right? Yeah. Natural market economies and negotiations are related to that set price levels. And so you're not going to get everything you want. You're going to have to compromise. If you could get everything you want, why would anyone agree to a negotiation? Unless you think you're clever enough in order to fool the other guy. I hope that's not the kind of person who are listening to this podcast. So the last part is stay calm and clear. Yeah. So no shouting. Um, we're going to talk about, I said earlier, we're going to talk about being soft on people. So later, but one of the things you have to consciously do before you go into a negotiation is separate the people from the issues. Like you can't judge the people based on their negotiating position you can't judge the people on what they're doing in defense of their company you have to judge them as human beings and colleagues and peers the same as you would if you weren't in a confrontational situation or potentially confrontational situation it's not necessarily their fault or it's not necessarily their free will that they're taking a position Right? They've been told to do it because that's what the organization wants them to do. And when people say, I can't do anything else, some of the time they mean it. And if you've got to know that person, then you can work out whether or not it's true. But yelling at that person doesn't help. It's like going outside and yelling at the building. Yeah. If they've been told, you can't give on this, and if you do, your future here will be under consideration, they're not going to give, and they can't right. give. And your choice is, do you want to really push them on that? Or you know, do you want to respect that they're employed and help them carry on being employed? And I would say, if you're going to yell at somebody, you have to ask yourself, if they yelled at you, would that stiffen your resolve or cause you to crack? Well, the yeah. fact is, for the vast majority of people, somebody yelling at them just stiffens their resolve. So you're going to make it worse and not better. You're going to look like a fool. When you do it, you're going to be thinking less clearly. Um, you're going to be diminishing them. You're going to be diminishing you. I used to tell people all the time, don't yell. There's nothing good that comes out of something that makes you look so stupid. Uh, just because when people yell, they just their faces contort. Or even let's go a step further in terms of staying calm and clear. Don't be underhanded. By the same token, that's mm -hmm. the, that's also another form of inappropriate behavior in a negotiation. You go in. You want to reach an agreement. You're going to do the best you can. You don't get to yell at work. You don't get to be unethical at work if you work at a professional ethical organization. And so that's true in negotiations as well. If you feel like you're getting there because you're tired or it's been a long day and all you've had is coffee and a cold piece of pizza at three o'clock in the afternoon and your blood sugar is all messed up, well, then just say, sorry, let's call it a night. And this is probably really, really old guidance, but it's useful. 
And I think a lot of times people judge situations by context. Negotiation is a good example of people who assume that's part of business, but I've never been trained on it. There are other people at that who are really good, like those people in finance who know things like, you know, EBITDA and so on. And the operator, the, the manufacturing plant guy goes, what the heck is EBITDA? What is EBIT? Right. And so he or she gets into a negotiation and thinks other people are good at it and they're not. And without the context of their day to day work experience, start being willing to consider other kinds of behavior that they never would in their normal workplace, willing to yell, willing to be a little bit clever and shade the truth a little bit and so on. It's a defense mechanism. Yes. Because exactly. they feel unknowledgeable. Exactly. When in fact, the context is always you and your conscience at night. Yeah. Um, so take breaks, take a couple hours, take until the next day. There's nothing wrong. I'm sure we'll talk about it in the future in having back channel discussions where it's clear that there are two people in the room that are willing to, to agree, but one person who's not. And you can talk to them at other times. If in fact, those things are not prohibited. If you're not doing diplomatic negotiations with a foreign power, while you have troops in their land or something like that, usually those kinds of conversations say, we're trying to. Now, you don't want to throw that other guy under the bus, but it would be completely okay to call somebody on the other side of the table and say, hey, listen, we're trying here. Are we doing okay? Are, we, you, know, are you guys feeling okay about this? Uh, let them bring up the one guy who's problematic and say, what can we do to help this? And how, how, can, we, how can we get there? And I'll say one more thing. We're going to talk about this in future guidance as well. If you ask me the two most important things I knew about negotiations, I would say, number one, it's an event, but it's in the context of a relationship, and that means goodwill. Remember to leave goodwill on the table. And the second thing, completely tactically, is stop making statements and start asking questions. Would you consider this or that? We're open on this. Could we agree to this rather than making statements like I can't do X or I want you to do Y? Questions create dialogue and dialogue is central to negotiations. Yeah. Okay. Can you summarize for us? So we talked about holding the line on the issues that matter. Which means knowing what issues matter. Exactly. Uh, then we talked about understanding why the issue matters. So understanding the root of what you're trying to achieve, finding common ground to resolve things and staying calm and clear. If you want to know one of the best examples I've ever seen of knowing why something is important, review the book Getting to Yes, which is the classic negotiating book. It's central to something known as the Harvard Negotiation Project, which I speak very highly of. And in it, there's a story about an exercise they do where two teams negotiate over an orange. And it is a very insightful exercise to help you see how the world the way you see it may not be the world the way the other side sees it. And being more specific about what you need and why you need it can help you be much more creative, help you get what you want, and help the other guy get what he wants too. That's what makes great negotiators. I love that example. Yeah. Good. Okay. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks. Bye, everyone. That's it, everybody. Come back in a few weeks. We'll continue our discussion about how to be an effective negotiator. Career Tools produces actionable guidance for professionals every week. To receive additional materials via our newsletter and to find products for situations you may face, 
go to www.managertools.com. Search for Career Tools on Twitter and LinkedIn.